Go ahead and have a seat, please. It is good to be with you this morning. Hope you had a great week. What an amazing weather week we had. Loving it. Today is no different. Praising God for that. Um, the sermon series we're in, it's, it's titled Mission Critical. And the reason that we're in this series is because our theme for this year is on purpose, pressing into what matters most. And definitely one of those things that matters most is the Great Commission, the mission that Jesus has given all of us followers of Him to execute through the grace that He supplies. And so we want to be a disciple-making church. I would love to see a disciple-making movement in our city that is birthed out of this church. And in order for that to take place, obviously, like Brandon said, it's got to be a move and a wave of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to know, like, what is a disciple and uh, what, how does a disciple grow? And so we all need to have a common language and vocabulary so that we know what we're talking about when we start using words uh, such as disciple and great commission and those sort of things. So today we're going to look again at the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 18. But this is Jesus. These are really like Jesus' parting words to his disciples. Jesus told them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so let's first ask the question, what is a disciple? We find the definition for a disciple right in the Great Commission. A disciple is simply a baptized learner of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. So let's look at those two components of what a disciple is. Let's first start with a baptized learner. So the baptism part. Um, not too many weeks ago, we were able to baptize seven individuals here and on New Life Sunday, which is my favorite Sunday out of the year. And when we baptized those individuals, I shared with you this graphic on baptism because it tells us why we baptize people. The first thing I mentioned is that baptism paints a picture. What does it paint a picture of? Well, when we put a person down in the waters of baptism, that's painting a picture that their old life, apart from God, doing their own thing without God, living outside of God's will and intentions for life, that life has been crucified, killed off, buried, put out of this world. That's what going under the waters of baptism, it paints a picture of that. Now, when we bring somebody up through the waters, that paints a picture that the person who is getting baptized because they have placed their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have been raised to new life. A new life that includes a new heart, a new power, a new purpose, a new future, a new family, right? And so that's what it paints a picture of. They're being, they have been resurrected to this new life with Jesus and his people. 
The, uh, another reason we baptize people is because it encourages believers and non-believers. I know for me, as a believer, when I see people get baptized, it's encouraging because it's like God is still in the business of changing lives, right? And for non-believers that attend the baptism, it's a challenge to them to think about where are they at with Jesus and what's keeping them from putting their trust and faith in him. Baptism identifies us with God's family. I think I said on New Life Sunday, the reason we don't like do baptisms in the bathtub at home is to be by ourselves is because baptism really does mark us out as a member of God's family. And that's why we get together as a church family uh, to do baptisms. And baptism also is a very important spiritual marker on the Christian's journey with Jesus. I could add, and I should add to this graphic, that also Jesus commands us to do baptism. So another reason that we do it, right? So this is all to say that a disciple is a baptized learner, which means a disciple is a person who has placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. That's what it means they are baptized. Okay. Now, there's this other part to what a disciple is. They are a learner. They are learning. What are they learning? To obey all that Jesus commanded. And so a disciple is a person who has placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord and is learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. Now I want to point out something very important here. This does not say, and Jesus did not say, that a disciple is learning to know all that Jesus commanded. They are learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. It's not enough to know what Jesus commanded. We are called to actually live it out. Okay. This is what a disciple is, a baptized learner. And so I want to ask you this morning, how about you? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you put your life in Jesus' hands? Have you surrendered it to him as your Lord? Have you trusted that he did what was necessary to pay for your sins so you could be forgiven, so you could be brought into God's family? Is he your Savior? And are you learning to obey, not just know all that Jesus commanded? All right. Now, this leads to the natural next question. What did Jesus command? If we were to learn to obey all that he commanded, what, what did he command? Um, as Brandon read in the, the, great, the great Commandments, and really there's the Great Commandments, we are to love God, and we are to love people as we love ourselves, right? So, that's what we're to do. Now, when you just say that, it's, it's somewhat kind of, okay, well, really, what does that mean? Uh, because all of Jesus' other commands fit under those two great commandments. But what does that really mean? Um, the elders and I, um, not too long ago, we spent a whole year looking at the, all of what Jesus commanded. And as we looked at what he taught us to do, we really felt that all of Jesus' commands could fit, with under, could fit under eight really main headings. And these headings are the characteristics and qualities that a disciple should have. I want to share them with you. They are on the screen. And what I want to do 
is I want you uh, to do a real-time assessment of kind of where you're at if you are a disciple of Jesus. If you are not a disciple of Jesus, um, you're welcome here. We are glad that you are here. Um, I want you to consider what life might be like if you became a disciple and these things became true of you. All right, so for you disciples in this room, here's what I want you to do. For each um, quality and characteristic of a disciple, I want you to rate where you're at. So if you have a pen and paper, great. Or if you have your phone, you can pull up a Google Doc or whatever. It'd be helpful to have something to record on. Um, so this is how I want you to rate yourself. One, this is like not true of me at all. Two, this is somewhat true of me. Three, yeah, like this is almost all of it's true of me. Four, all of it's true of me. All right? Ready for this? Here we go. Let's start with the gospel-saturated life. A person that has, a disciple that has a gospel-saturated life, uh, they are a person that is both humble and confident. Uh, first, humble, uh, because a person, uh, had, if they are saturated by the gospel, they know the depth of their sin. They know it is great, and yet, they know the depth of God's love is greater. And so it creates a humility in them that it's like, only by the grace of God I am what I am, that I am saved and I am redeemed. Uh, how am I to boast when I know that I did not contribute anything to my salvation, but it was simply God's grace that brought me into resurrection life. And so there's a humility in the gospel-saturated person. Um, they know who they are in Jesus, and there's this confidence as well. They're not living for the approval of people. And so they're able to resist the sin of people-pleasing. And they're able to resist changing their behavior based on who is in the room. They're confident. They know who they are in Christ. They know they have the approval of the only one who truly matters, and that is God. And so, because they are secure and confident, they're able to handle criticism when it comes their way. They're able to look at it and consider what, are, what is you know, the truth? What are the nuggets of truth that might be in this criticism? Even though it's unfounded, even if it's unfounded, I still want to consider it and look and see if there's anything there that uh, I need to know. And so they are super confident. They can handle success as well as failure. Because in their success, they know that, like, really, they're just using what God has given them. And so how can they get big-headed about their success when everything they're using to be successful was a good gift from God? And when things don't go well and there's failure, they're not crushed. They may be disappointed, but they're not crushed. Because they know their good father is ultimately in control, and he's even leveraging their failure for their ultimate good. Secure, humble, confident is the gospel-saturated person. Rate yourself. Where are you at? One, not really true or any of that of me. Two, a little bit. Three, most of it. Four, all of it. Where are you at?
Let's go to the next character, the quality and characteristic of a disciple connected to God. The most amazing aspect of the gospel is it connects us to the most beautiful, the most loving, the, the, the most wise, the most powerful, the most creative, the most intelligent being in the universe, and that is God. And as we as a disciple learn to connect to God through engaging in God's word and prayer and other spiritual practices like silence and solitude, keeping the Sabbath, fasting, we start to see as a disciple more and more of the greatness and goodness of God. And as a result, what ends up happening is we are able to minister out of our overflow. Out of the goodness that we're receiving, we are able to pour out that goodness to those around us. And we become more effective in ministry. And as we spend time regularly connecting with God and find it as a life-giving thing, we become a better adept at discerning God's voice in our life, His will. Where are you at with this? Is connecting to God something that is just a regular practice of yours that you literally pray without ceasing as you go throughout your day you do your day with jesus and then you have these wonderful life-giving quality times with god where it's just you and him is that uh, something that happens all the time for you most of the time a little bit of the time or really it's just non-existent in your life Go ahead. One, two, three, or four. Okay. By the way, the psalmist said about God in Psalm 1611, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. What is eternal life? To know God and the Son whom he sent. To know the Father and the Son whom he sent. All right, so... Next characteristic and quality of a disciple, community. It is so critical that a disciple of Jesus is plugged into Christian community, that they are functioning in a local congregation. In the New Testament, there's not a single Christian that was not a part of a local congregation. It's a non-negotiable of the Christian faith. When you have people that are supposedly Lone Ranger disciples of Jesus, like that doesn't even work, it doesn't even go together. Because a disciple is plugged into Christian community. And a disciple needs to learn how to live out the 59 one another statements that are found in the New Testament. There's 59 of them. It's a lot. You can't learn the one another statements by yourself in isolation. It doesn't work, right? And so... We need to learn how to do that, to be a part of a local congregation in which there's mutual uh, support and challenge. And you know what else we need? We need to be part of a smaller core group of, of committed disciples for the, purposes, for the purpose of accountability, really. And so we come here on Sundays, and it's great, and this has a purpose in our discipleship. But this is not sufficient enough for us to really grow and mature in Christ. You need a band of brothers or sisters that you're engaging with on a regular basis. Group of six to eight people that are holding you accountable to obeying all that Jesus commanded. Where are you at? 
how are you doing? With participation in the larger local congregation here and in a smaller group. Are you, is that happening in your life? Like you're all in with that? Is it most of the time? Is it uh, a little bit or is it really non-existent? All right, let's look at the next characteristic and quality of a disciple. A disciple, a mature disciple, understands the Bible and they understand theology. Uh, let me explain a little bit here. So, every disciple should know the main storyline of the Bible and they should understand where their personal story fits in with that large story that God is writing in the world. And the, one of the ways we talk about it here at Abundant Life is breaking the main storyline of the Bible into four acts. So the first act is creation, the second act is the fall, the third act is redemption, and the fourth act is restoration. Are you able to communicate and explain these four acts of the main storyline of the Bible? Do you understand how they interact with one another? Do you understand where your story fits into this story, the big story, the one big major story that God is writing in the world? Do you understand how every story, as the Jesus Storybook uh, Bible tells us, whispers Jesus' name? Every story in the Bible whispers Jesus' name. And then the disciple, a mature disciple, they understand Christian theology. And what we mean by that is they understand the basic beliefs of the Christian worldview. They understand uh, the truth about uh, Jesus, his virgin birth, his perfect life, his atoning death, his, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. They understand that. They understand what sin is, what salvation is, what, what God's design for marriage is, sexuality, um, what what, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? These basic Christian beliefs. They understand that, what, what does it mean that the Bible is authoritative and there's a heaven and there's a hell and these sort of things. How are you doing with that? Where would you rate yourself? The next characteristic and quality of a disciple is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And really, you can lump the fruit of the Spirit into four major categories. The first is sacrificial living. To what extent are you able to put your needs and preferences aside for the sake of uh, the other people in your life to fight for the highest good of others? How generous and sacrificial are you with your time and your resources? That's what we mean by sacrificial living. All right, the next heading we can lump the fruit of the Spirit into is gracious living. And man, man, oh man, oh man, do uh, Christians need to exhibit this in our world. And uh, this is, they're all so important. And, you know, every pastor says, ah, this is so important when it's all important. But this, this I feel as if it's really important. <laughs> gracious I just let you into a window into my mind as I preach because this is how things are going. I just usually don't talk in that way. But all right, here we go. Gracious living. So what we mean by this is in your actions with other people, are you exhibiting the care, <laughs> humility, and compassion of Jesus? 
Are you becoming less harsh, less judgmental, less arrogant, less, con- you know, uh, less condescending in your relationships? Do you start disagreements with this, I could be wrong? I could be wrong where I'm standing right now. I could be wrong. Oh my goodness. If people could just start there. Okay. Satisfy life is the next category we can lump the fruit of the Spirit in too. So, how content are you in life? How satisfying? Um, when, when things don't go your way, how frustrated do you get? How upset with other people do you get? How arrogant and cocky and prideful are you because you're so mad at other people that they're not smart enough like you to figure this out and do it the right way? Okay? How much do you desire to control your life and the people around you? Is anxiety and worry fading? Is this desire for control starting to cease? Are you able to experience joy even when life gets really, really hard? These are all aspects of the satisfied, content life. All right, what about devotion? So that's the fourth category. And basically what devotion is, is how faithful are you? How faithful are you to the goals you set for yourself? How faithful are you in your marriage? How faithful are you in the relationships in your life? Do you overpromise and underdeliver? Do you deliver on time and on budget? How faithful are you? This is the devoted life. Okay. Rate yourself, fruit of the spirit. One, these really aren't existent in my life. They're not existing in my life right now. Two, a little bit. Three, yeah, quite a bit. Number four, yeah, like I really feel like Jesus' character has become mine in like a major, major way. Okay, let's go to the next category. Let's keep rolling. Fulfilling God's call on one's life. This is all about, so disciples need to know how they are uniquely wired, how they're uniquely gifted. They need to know their strengths, their weaknesses, their personality. They need to know themselves well so that they can lead themselves well because if you don't know yourself, you can't lead yourself. And if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead other people. And so, do you know how you're wired? Do you know your unique God-given personality? Do you know your strengths and your weaknesses? Have you become aware of all these tendencies that you have that have been flying under your radar and it's been causing damage in your relationships, it's been a broccoli in your teeth kind of thing, has that been pointed out to you? Do you know what God calls humans to do, the general call, and do you know what he's specifically calling you to do in this season of your life? Do you know what spiritual gifts he's given you as a disciple? Do you know how your upbringing has wounded you and how it's helped you 
I've never come across a person who is not wounded in some way by their upbringing. And I've never come across a person that hasn't been helped in some way by their upbringing. Do you understand that? Do you know your story? Do you know who's been most important in your life and why? Do you know yourself? Do you know the role that you're supposed to play in this local church? That's what it means to really know yourself so that you can fulfill God's call on your life. So, rate yourself. Where you're at? Where are you at with this? One, you know what? I thought maybe I knew myself, but now as Pastor Shane's talking, I don't know if I really do. By the way, when I work with leaders in the secular world, and I'm working with a lot of them these days, this is the number one thing that they all tell me they don't know. They don't know themselves. They don't know themselves. High-level leaders, they don't know themselves. Okay. So rate, rate yourself, you know, the rubric. Missional living. All right. So a mature disciple of Jesus, they live as missionaries wherever they're at. They're a missionary. Which means they're constantly on the lookout for the seeker. Who is curious about Jesus? Who is, and we've used this term before, and it's taken from Luke 9 and 10, who is the person of peace? Who are the people of the peace that are around me? Which means they're open to the Jesus in me. They're not yet followers, they're not yet believers, but they're open, they're not closed off. And so the mature disciple lives as a missionary. They're looking for these people as they do their work. As they engage in family activities and events, and as they're out in the community, as they're at safety day, who are the seekers? Who is God working on right now, drawing, you know, who are the people God is drawing to himself? And how do I partner with God to see them come to know the greatness and goodness of Jesus? Where are you at with that? Rate yourself. Uh, number one, I really don't ever really view myself as a missionary. Um, number two, a little bit, I guess. Three, yeah, there's a lot of the time where I have this missionary mindset. Four, I always see myself as a missionary no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing. All right, let's go to the fourth, or fourth, I think it's eight. The eighth thing here, engaging others through discipleship. This is simply, I am actively, right now as we speak, I have, you know, a group of people that I am actively investing in on a regular basis, an intentional basis, in order that they may learn to obey all that Jesus commanded. And so we meet regularly. We have formal time together where we're talking about these things. We have informal time together where we're just together and enjoying each other's company. We're really intentional when we do have those kind of formal, structured times together. Where are you at? Number one, again, you know the rubric. That this really isn't happening in your life. Number two, uh, I think maybe a little bit. I'm kind of like starting to lead a Bible study, and it's sort of kind of that. Three, like... Now, this is happening a lot. Four, like, this is just my lifestyle. I always have people that I'm doing this with. All right. So, 
That's what it means to learn to obey all that Jesus commanded. You can fit them all in these eight categories. This is what it means to love God and love people. Now, uh, I hope and my prayer is that you see these, these characteristics and qualities of a disciple as a delight and not a duty. You get to become this sort of person. You get to live this way. This is where abundant life is found. This is the life Jesus came to give us. I hope you see it as a delight and not a duty. Uh, get to, I don't, not a, I have to. Okay? All right, third thing. So the next question is, how do we sequence this content? So we just really went over the scope of the content of what it means to obey all that Jesus commanded. How do we sequence this content? Well, if you remember the four stages of a disciple that I explained last Sunday, this, and these are the stages Jesus took his disciples through. So this helps us here. Okay, let me just briefly explain this real quick. If you weren't here last Sunday, a seeker is not yet a disciple of Jesus. They're curious about Jesus, right? Um, they have not committed their life to him, but they're not opposed to him either. Okay, we want seekers to actually become followers where they repent and believe and receive Jesus as King, as Lord, as Savior, right? Then they move to chair two, which is a follower. A follower is you know, now they're on the journey to learn to obey all that Jesus commanded, okay? Number three, when we move to chair three, we become a worker. And a worker is somebody who is now ministering on behalf of Jesus in some way. They're serving at our safety day, or they're serving at another city server event. They're serving, you know, in our uh, uprising youth ministry. They're serving on Sunday morning somehow, right? They're, they're becoming a worker, Chair four is a disciple maker. It's when a person actually becomes a spiritual parent and they're discipling spiritual children. Okay? These are the stages we go through as a disciple. And what we can do is we can combine, we can combine this graphic with those eight qualities and characteristics of a disciple, um, and which then gives us uh, this, this slide here. So what, I just want to explain this to you and then we'll be done. All right, the first thing is I didn't really talk to you about a seeker in those eight characteristics and qualities of a disciple because a seeker isn't really a true disciple yet. Uh, let me just mention these four things that a seeker needs that I didn't talk to you about, but they're important if we're going to minister to seekers and see seekers become Followers And actually, you know what, Haley, just go back to the previous slide and we can just stay there. Um, so these are the four things the seeker needs. First of all, they need a transformed life to witness and to watch. So somebody is not going to be interested in the Jesus in you if it has made no difference in your life. If your light is not full, if your life is not full of light, if it's not a salty life, if you are not exhibiting in some measure the fruit of the Spirit, if you do not have the character of Jesus in any kind of tangible way that can be noticed in you, if your priorities aren't becoming the priorities of Jesus, why would anybody want this Jesus? 
that you are professing. And so we, we need to, seekers need to see actual transformed lives. They need to know the gospel. They need to know the good news about Jesus and what he's done for us so that we could, can experience a transformed life. They need to have their questions answered. Oftentimes, seekers have questions that are acting as barriers that are keeping them from faith in Jesus, and we need to become good at helping them find answers to the questions that they have. And then seekers also need to be encouraged to then, when they have their questions answered, to repent and believe. Put their trust in Jesus. Okay? All right. So you notice the baptism graphic in between the seeker and the follower. Um, that's how a person moves from chair one to chair two. They make that decision, they are baptized, right? Now, for the follower, what do they need? What of those eight characteristics and qualities of a disciple do they need? They need to understand what a gospel-saturated life is like, and they need to start to experience that. They need Christian community at this stage of their discipleship. They need to know how to connect to God on their own through spiritual practices so they can feed themselves on the bread from heaven and the living water that is Jesus. They need to understand the main storyline of the Bible and they need to understand you know, the basic Christian beliefs. And they, so they need to like take on a Christian worldview, okay? That's what's needed in the follower stage. And then in the worker stage, by this point, you really should see tangible evidence of the fruit of the Spirit taking shape in a disciple's life. Because if they're connecting to God, and they're feasting on Him, and they're in Christian community, and they are learning the truth that's in Scripture, and they're learning to apply that to their life, a natural byproduct of the stage of a follower is that the fruit of the Spirit should be taking shape in a person's life. They also need, at the worker phase, to really understand how God has uniquely gifted them and wired them and what He's calling them to do in their vocation, but also in the church as well. And they need to know how to live as a missionary as they minister. And then, and they need to experience it, not just head knowledge, like they actually have to be starting to live it out and experience it. And you got to disciple them to do that. And then the fourth stage of discipleship, this is what that person needs when they're sitting in chair four, is they need to know how to come alongside of another person and lead them to obey all that Jesus commanded. So, I hope this was helpful for, for you. Um, I am dedicated to helping us become really, 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 really good at this. My hope for our church is that everyone is discipled and everyone is discipling. It's my hope for this church because I believe it's Jesus' hope for the church, right? And if you're here and you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, I hope you see that this is where abundant life is found. This is what you were made for. This is what you were created for. And I also want to tell you, if you're going through this and, you know, you're kind of grading yourself and assessing where you're at and you're just like, man... I'm not doing as good as I would like to be doing. It's okay. We're in this together. We're all at different parts on the journey. And like I said last Sunday, Jesus loves us just the way we are. He loves us where we are. But what? He loves us too much to let us stay there. 
He wants you to experience the fullness of what he has made you to be and do. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that uh, your life is the model we need uh, for disciple making. That you give us the content, you give us the sequence of the stages that we need to bring people through. Um, and what content and what they need to actually learn to do um, at those times, uh, at those stages. Lord, I pray that we would become a church in which every single person has been discipled or is being discipled, and that they're also then moving to being a disciple maker or are discipling somebody. Lord, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would make that such a such a priority for all of us. This is the revival that we need, and it's going to take effort and energy and time and work and raising up, you know, spiritual infants to become spiritual parents. It's hard. It's it's just it's a lot like having your own kids. It's frustrating, and yet it is the most rewarding and joyful thing we can partake in. Uh, make us those people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One other thing I forgot to mention, at the bottom of the graphic I share with you the last one. You notice the head, heart, and hands. And the idea with that is in the beginning stages, a lot is happening in the head and heart of a disciple. And then eventually as that disciple grows, it starts to really start to work itself out in their actions, in their hands, and what they're, what they're doing with their body. So just so you know.